And now, for your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, covering the week of media, marketing, and digital content news. This old marketing. Take it away, boys. Join Robert and me May 2nd to 4th in Phoenix for Creator Economy Expo. When you register at CEX.events, use code TOM, Tom, to save 25%. We'll see you soon. Well, hello, my friends. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 318 of This Old Marketing for Monday. Yeah, that's right. Monday, April 4th, 2022, because, well, my partner has something to do that's just better than hanging out with me. And with me, as always, is my partner, my good friend, my colleague, and a guy who's definitely not Grammy winner, John Batiste, Mr. <laughs> Joe Polizzi. Did you see his Did you see his performance at the Grammys? I saw nothing, John Batiste? so you're going to have to tell me. Uh, I was doing stuff. I, it's hard to it's hard to describe how much I love John Batiste as a as a music. I mean that album is. I mean his John many Batiste albums, but is amazing. His, but I didn't see the performance. Oh my gosh! It's just uh, freedom. You know that yeah. song, right? Yeah, he did that at the Grammys, and it was absolutely okay. well. After just, I mean, after this, I will. Yeah, but it, just YouTube. Well, to, it. Yeah. to your YouTube first comment, it. at least I'm scheduling a podcast with you like i could say forget it i'm done well that's I'm true i'm done that's and true you say yep i knew Blitzy was gonna I, quit I, again like you could have but it, i didn't i'm not doing it, that you didn't i didn't quit, quit. i didn't you quit didn't. on you i'll never quit that, on you it, that's is that the bar that we're, we're 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 shooting for these days is that you don't quit like every week i should just be yeah happy i'm gonna say hey quit. i need to do the podcast at this date at this time or i'm quitting that's exactly <laughs> that's i see exactly that's exactly what it's come to. I see. As there's the, the you've now changed your middle name to Diva. I think is that uh, is no. That, it's is that always much been it? there. You. It's you always know been Diva. You know, I see. Yeah, you know I how do. it is. Like, I do. I, you you do all do. the work, and I take most of the credit. And that's yes. It's worked really well for us for the past fifteen years. It, it well, it's worked really well for one of us <laughs> for the past fifteen years. That's for sure. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it but has been interesting and fun for you, right? I mean, there's that. I mean, it hasn't worked out financially yeah, well it, for you, but it's worked out. No, you that's, feel that's, good. Yeah. that's that's probably a great way yeah. to put it. You, yeah. Like it, it feels good that we get to talk to each other. We're good friends. Like that's that's <laughs> is that what they is call that, it? Is that, is is that, that is, not really? Is, is that, that not bonus it? enough for what? It is. Anyways, it is. Uh, let's talk about you. Let's talk about your jet lag. How was uh, how was London? You know, here's the thing. I absolutely adore that oh, city. I love London. I, you know, it is. Oh my gosh, I do love that city so much. I it's really one of the only cities in the world besides the one that I live in that I would absolutely move to in a heartbeat. It I. Yeah, I and the weather was spectacular, and everything in London was spectacular as it always is, and and the traffic was awful, which is the way it always is, and it was just great. It was great, and 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 interestingly, uh, so I think I said on the last week's show that I, I brought my wife with me to enjoy some of the city, and we did, of course, and uh, I fared for my first international trip in literally two and a half years. Um, and, uh, you know, really my first business mm-hmm. trip in almost a year and a half, well, other than content marketing world, almost a year and a half, um, I fared very well. I, my, my jet lag was really just non-existent. Just kicked right back my wife, in. on the yeah, other hand, just, yeah, my wife, on the other hand, knew not, not so, so much. Yeah. She, yeah, she, she suffered a bit, but yeah, it, it worked out all right. It worked and, uh, and it worked out. And you right. told me before we started the podcast, you gave me some really good news. You said that COVID is over in London, which is there. Which it is, is wonderful to hear. There it is. That yeah, uh, everything's back yeah, to normal. It is. It is. Oh my gosh! It's it's a little weird, but but you know, I'm not going to lie. I was happy about it um, to see everybody's faces, noses, and chins. Um, they, there's not a mask in sight there. You know, they were they were telling me on the you know as the driver we were driving in from the airport. They were like. 
if you see somebody in a mask, it's a tourist or, or someone who doesn't live here because nobody in, in London is wearing masks. And that's true. You go into everything from the most crowded pubs to the restaurants to the internal of any shop, you know, and no one is wearing But did a you mask. say that, that vaccination was mandatory? Like 100% or no? Well, they have a much higher rate than we do. They have a, their their vaccination rate, you know, plus booster is, yeah, vaccination plus booster, if I'm remembering my numbers, and I may get this number slightly wrong, I believe is in the high 60s, low 70s. And then double vaxxed is in the like mid 80s, like mid to high 80s, oh, like 88% okay. or something. It's crazy high in terms of the number of people who have been, you know, like where in the US, we sit at like 60% of double vaxxed and like 40% who have been vaxxed and boosted. It's like, it's, it's, it's a very different situation. Yeah. But you were, t- you were telling me about the airport that you don't have to wear masks in the airport or yeah, on the airplane. You don't have to wear, you just, don't have, yep. you don't have to wear a mask in Heathrow and uh, you do have to wear a mask on an American flight, you know, anything that's going to or from but if America. You were, if wearing, you were flying, let's say from, from London to Milan or something like that, would you have to wear a mask? I believe no. Wow. I believe you do not have to wear a mask. I'm not 100% sure on that, but I believe that you do not have to wear a mask on any uh, and on any flight originating in, in London and and going somewhere else that doesn't require How uh, about shoes? Do you have to I wear do. shoes? Is that a th- you do. shoes and You do have shirts? to wear shoes. You have to wear those? Shirts. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know how far Absolutely. they were taking it because if they're partying like it's 2019, if they're partying like it's 2019, then hey. Let's see what happens, right? Oh, they're partying like it's 2019. There's no <laughs> doubt about that. It is back. Thursday nights, you know, because Thursday nights, of course, in London are pub night, you know, when you you basically, every pub is spilling out into the streets with people, you know, just with all with pints in their hands. I mean, it's that's all back 100%. I mean, it looks like London of 2019 as, wow. as far as I could see. It was, it was... It was weird, and also, I, I'm I'll say it, just very comforting. It was very nice. It was very nice to be to be there. And you know, the only thing that was even a bit disconcerting was the fact that I had to take a COVID test before coming back. So that's always in your head, right? You know, like I wasn't worried about catching COVID. I was worried about like testing positive for it and not being able to come home, yeah. which was, you know. Well, what what was just, it like leaving you know, your, your wife in London? I mean, what, was that okay? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, yeah. I kid. Well, that was I the guess. weird thing. We talked about it. Well, we talked about it. We, you had we, a plan? We like, like well, what happens? Would, like if somebody. We, oh, we definitely had would, a plan. Would somebody yeah, have gone? Would you stay together as a team? team I rose? would have stayed. She would have gone. If, if I tested positive and she didn't she would have come home and if she tested positive and i didn't i would have stayed yeah well that makes it because it was was thursday and it was pub night so you were well Well, (laughs) come on you were hoping yeah i'm just kidding i shouldn't talk which is not funny which is funny because that's the way it is right because if you get if you test positive for covid you don't have to self-isolate in the uk you you just you just Bummer, you tested positive. Oh, man. And you can walk around with no mask if you felt like it. So, you know, it's they have definitely concluded that it's endemic now and it's done. I you know what? I don't know what to say about that. I mean, I I mean you know how I feel. I feel if you're vaccinated and you're boosted, you're fine, whatever. Good. We're all good. We're all good in the hood. Let's get down to partying a little bit. Let's have a drink. Yeah, something. But well, yeah. <laughs> this is gone. I don't. Even, let's just end the show. This, I'm done. Yeah, I'm, you that, know we such a such seriously a, though. But that was a downer. That was a no. Canon, so, no, and a downer. Not a downer. Seriously, we talked about this before. You and I are working way too much. We're working way too much. Too much. And we're gonna have to cut some things out of our lives that are not necessary. I don't know what those things are. I don't know. It's not this podcast. We're going to keep this podcast going, but everything right, else is on the table. How, how great it is for my career! It's been it's been such a it's such been such a boost for my career <laughs> and my 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 financial situation. That uh, yeah, we got to keep so it. Funny. What's so strange is because you know that you know we've got some longtime listeners. Somebody sent us a note this week. Something about I'm your fifth listener. 
Yeah. Like, when was that, that episode? I that was that. I don't know. That was like yeah. nine months ago. I'm like, oh man, we lo- we love our listeners. They're I love our wow. listeners. I mean, th- thank God they put up with our nonsense. Remember every that week. note we got a couple months ago from that wonderful woman who who basically yeah. she said, "Don't us. stop deprecating yeah. yourself. Stop yeah. being negative. You you, you yeah. need to be more positive about your audience." She was she <laughs> to be clear, she wasn't saying stop being negative about everything else. She was just saying stop being negative about the size of your audience, right? And uh, yeah, I, I I think we can I think do we that. can. I think we absolutely can. So, and we have some, you know, it's interesting we that we're recording on Monday as some of this news comes out because Which you is have just, some breaking yeah, four days, some breaking news. We do sort of right. We do have some breaking news. So by the time that this emerges uh, on Friday, as it normally will, who knows what will have happened I since know. then? But yeah, we've got we've got a bunch of stories to talk about. You know, the breaking news that Joe is mentioning there is, of course, the Twitter stock has gone up almost 30% uh, because of one purchaser. And we'll get to that in just a moment because that is taking the financial uh, desks certainly by a storm as we record this. Um, We'll talk about podcasting because why not? Let's get all meta and talk about podcasting on a podcast. And we'll talk about YouTube, uh, really thinking about launching a complete podcasting channel. And we'll also talk about podcast growth. Has it hit a ceiling? Uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about uh, NFTs because, yeah, that's what we do these days. But a really interesting thing, which is a new technology that's not going to call an NFT an NFT, sort of extending a discussion we had last week uh, about why NFTs may be here to stay, but they may not be called NFTs any longer. And then we'll finish up before we get to rants and raves with uh, about journalists and should they have a personal brand or not? A fun, interesting debate going on online. I'm going to rave a little bit about an interview uh, with uh, from McKinsey. Uh, with a friend and family uh, of the show, and certainly of a friend of mine that I've known for a number of years, Kathy Hackle, uh, and you are going to—I guess you're going to rant. Is it a no? Rant or it, it is, is it a not. It's it's, it's a rave slash commentary, actually, and then okay. and then a, and a quick commentary about the the Grammys too. So, which I didn't oh, tell I you could, about, but right. nothing nothing shocking, nothing crazy, nothing okay. nothing well, that'll slap it. you in the face. So basically, after I'm done, you can just turn it off. <laughs> because it's not going to matter anymore. And That's by the right. way, it we are won't. recording. See, this is we don't usually record this late. We usually record in the morning. This no, this that's is true late for me. I already it, had dinner, so Lord yeah, knows what's you, going. You've happen. had dinner, and and if I didn't have something else to do, which I unfortunately do after this, I would actually be partaking of a good tequila right about now but i do actually have really i do i mean it's well it's only four o'clock here so i I have to i literally thought that you didn't work past 2 p.m eastern time oh no no not 2 p.m no no no, 2 p.m your time Oh no no! Oh, I do declare! <laughs> I do declare! My my work does not finish. I thought your finish. hours were like six my, to two. Uh, six to two? No, 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 okay. no. no. They, they're these days they're more like six to eight or six oh, to six at least. That's sad. That's, that's it's not... it's 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 the it's the story of my life. It's how I afford to do this podcast. I do it because I love it. Not because I'm. You doing love it. You said that with your teeth were grinding as you were saying that. <laughs> okay. What do we got? What's the news? <gasps> we got, let's look at the first story, which is, as Joe mentioned, breaking news here, and it comes courtesy of CNBC. Uh, CNBC. <laughs> Twitter shares are up close to 27% after Elon Musk. Oh, we know that guy takes nine percent stake. Can you imagine buying that? I mean, can you do? Can you do that on an Ameritrade account? I wonder um, if that was all. Takes, did, did that all happen one time? Yeah, he was using Robinhood, did, and he put together the seventy-three million share order. <laughs> that's right. What do you? I mean, can you even do that? I mean, do you have to call your stockbroker for that? How yeah, did that even I, I happen? Think, I think that's a special deal. I think that's yeah yeah I, that's not you gotta you gotta do something it, that's I would love to know though do you have now to I really want to know I didn't anyway. think about that but I want yeah. I want to know how he got the seventy three point four eight million shares but please proceed yeah. with your news breaking you know, well the story opens up by saying outspoken Tesla CEO Elon Musk as 
the most understatement of the year winner, says uh, it took a giant stake in Twitter that makes him the largest outside shareholder in the social media stock not long after criticizing the company for what he said was its failure to uphold the tenets of free speech. Musk now owns, as Joe just said, 73.486 million shares of Twitter, which represents a 9.2% passive stake in the company, because remember, this is just, you know, normal shares that you or I could buy, folks. Uh, According to Securities Exchange Commission 13G filing released Monday, the stake is worth $2.89 billion based on Twitter's closing price on Friday. The purchase comes less than two weeks after Musk criticized the company, polling people on Twitter about whether it adheres to free speech principles. Given that Twitter serves as the de facto public town square, failing to adhere to free speech principles fundamentally undermines democracy, Musk tweeted in a tweet that was clearly written for him and not by him. Um, Late last month, Musk also said he was considering building a new social media platform. (laughs) Maybe he should just take over Truth Social. (laughs) Is that um, still going? Anyway, uh, I don't know. Uh, they just had two major executives. Yeah, quit, I didn't so even think they. I didn't I, even I, think they actually launched it. Oh well, they really haven't yet. Yeah. I mean, that's still you know that beta. I got to tell you, people. not a good sign when the executives quit before the product is released. True, never a yeah. good sign. Yeah. I don't know if and that's when it's ever your, been a good when sign. When it's your CTO, I think it was too. Oh, I think it was the CTO well, that left. Yeah, so, there goes yeah, the not server. A, not a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, I have to call GoDaddy and and see if you can get that hosted um, somewhere else. Okay, (laughs) go ahead, please. Yeah. Well, that no, it? that's 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 really all I have. Yeah, Yeah. that's 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 all I have. Um, you know, I mean, you know, who knew? Who knew that Devin wouldn't be a good CEO of Truth Social? But what do you think about this whole uh, this whole thing? I mean, what? I mean, what? I mean, here, look, my quick take is this is. This is Elon being Elon, right? He's just, I mean, when you have uh, a man-child that is ostensibly just a billionaire and can throw around $2.89 billion without really thinking about it, this is him trolling. He, all he's doing is trolling Twitter, as far as I'm concerned. But, but do, you, do you think there's anything more to this? Well, my first instinct was is to, believe it or not, agree with you that I think this is a little Uh-oh. pet project thing for him. Well, it should should be known that this is the platform that Elon Musk uses. I mean, Elon Musk has 80 million followers and and tweets memes all the time and pokes fun at people, makes fun at at things. So uh, now has 73 million shares. By the way, four times the amount of founder Jack Dorsey. Think about that. He's got four times the amount of the founder of the company. So, of course, Dorsey's checked out. Not not anything. It, it would. I really think this shouldn't have happened in the first place. But why did it happen? It happened because since Twitter's IPO, the stock has done nothing. Twitter stock is ba- it's basically zero. If you were if you bought at the IPO, you've made no nothing return on Twitter, which is right. almost impossible to think when you look at Apple and Facebook and all the other companies. Uh, Snap has done amazingly well compared to, and we used to beat on them all the time about how horrible they were, and they've done better than Twitter. So he was able to get in at this price, inexpensive price, if you will, based on whatever the growth is, because it's never done anything. So the fact that you have yeah. a billionaire coming in, say, I'm going to add a little bit to this. So that's the one one theory is, you know, we were he's just full and it's a pet project. But I was listening to a... Uh, CNBC uh, five-minute segment with uh, downtown Josh Brown. I don't know if you know him, but jo- I do. Okay, so yep. Josh Brown, analyst, he's on CNBC all the time. Said that the uh, Elon Musk is good friends with a director on uh, who's a director on Twitter from Silver Lake Financial, so which is large venture funding company and financial company. Yeah. So the question was brought up as a big what if maybe silver lake and elon and friends get together and take twitter private because no 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 it's worked for the new york times well the new york times well, is i'm public, not saying it wouldn't private. work i'm just saying that this isn't the way to do it does i mean this isn't that's not the way to do it how do you, how do you know this is the way i mean to if do you're gonna do it you go in and you get control this is why why not what is there's no one way anymore. Well, uh, There's no way. 
It's not like we're watching The Mandalorian that this is the way. There's no way. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there. This is the way. Know, this is the way. This, yeah. This is the way. This is not the way that this happens, right? I mean, I just don't think that. I mean. Okay, wait, wait, wait. No, well, so here's here's okay. the thing. So we'll wrap. This is just it was not anything that has to do with content creation, but the Twitter has the market cap of Olive Garden. It's the same size as Olive Garden, <laughs> and yet. Just think how uh, it's funny because it's, it's funny true. It's that's, true. That's what it's and think yeah. how much power Twitter has. I mean, Twitter <laughs> is is when you look at like the most powerful media companies on the planet by voice, if you will. Twitter's right up there at the top. Yeah, it's true, and, it, and it's the size it, it of Olive Garden. It is true. There's some disconnect it, there. Like Twitter obviously hasn't gotten their stuff together to figure out a revenue model that can make this thing work. Well, could Elon do any worse? I don't think so. So maybe he feels like I'm going to come in this way and I get something. There's there's talk that he maybe maybe get a board seat. He hasn't asked for anything. Yeah, he, he hasn't may. asked he for may. anything. I mean, he may. Yeah. So yeah. we don't know. But yeah, well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. And and those of you who had Twitter getting getting acquired by <laughs> Elon Musk bingo. in your 2022 bingo card, yeah. congratulations. On that, um, that uh, yeah, having a huge share in that. Anyway, just a very interesting story to find. And, and who knows? By the time this actually comes out on Friday, there there may be there may be much more information on this. But I think I think it's going to be something to uh, to watch. But did you also see there was a the secondary article that he might be in trouble with the SEC because he didn't he didn't uh, claim this quickly enough in in SEC, oh, you SEC know what? stuff. I, if I say right, I mean, you know, th- throw up the big whatevs um, sign there. I mean, I'm just, I'm so tired of the headlines that say so and so fill in the blank, whether it's Trump, Biden, Musk, Zuckerberg, anybody may be in trouble with some governmental organization that may file charges at some point. And just never do. I mean, it's just, you know, how many times has the SEC threatened Elon Musk and just never done anything? I mean, I just, it's like, I thought okay. he did have to pay All one right. penalty for something. When is, Didn't he have to? Yeah, and he's he, already wanting it back. He, he wants it back now because, yeah, he, it was some insider thing that he got sort of fined for and, and now he wants it back and he's gone to court it's to get a, it back and all that. It's just... It's such a weird well, you know, thing. Our, our our regulatory agencies are toothless. But it, it's such a weird part. relationship that Elon Musk has with the U.S. government because he's received so much money from the U.S. government through grants. It's obscene. And yet there's this whole other side that he keeps getting into cr- trouble and there's these fines. And so what does that mean? He pays the fines and the, the fines of the grants and the grants go back. And then, they, I mean, it's just well, back that's right. and forth. I mean, it's like... It's like you know, it's it's like where you know the when you when you think of parking tickets, right? You know, there are there are really rich people who look at parking tickets simply as that's the price of parking. That I mean, because that's what it is, and it, when you when you when you penalize people in a way that is not commensurate with their wealth, then it it, it just becomes the price of doing business. What's what's uh, Elon so, Musk worth right now? Oh my God! It's got to be in the hundred and high hundred billions. Um, right, let's see. It's one hundred and seventy-seven. Oh, something here it is. Crazy. Two hundred and sixty-seven like billion dollars. There you go. Okay, so this is one. This so, was one percent. This was one percent. Yeah. What? One percent of one percent dilution in his wealth went to being getting a nine percent stake in Twitter in Olive Garden, which he should have actually done. That would have been funny. Okay. Serious question. When he made the trade the seven, to buy the 73 billion shares, was he at an Olive Garden? Now, that would be news. Now, that. I want to I want to write that news. story. <laughs> yes. That's, yes. Anyways, that was. Okay. I think we've solved all the world's problems all right. on that one. We have. Let's, let's move along to the next story Please here do. because it actually does have to do with our, our wonderful careers and what we do for a living here. And this is. 
about podcasting. We are going to link to two uh, news articles here uh, for this uh, discussion here. Um, one is, seems to be a bit of a rumor, um, according to a recent link. It comes to us courtesy of Digital Information World, which I didn't really know about before, but do now. Um, and the article opens up by saying, YouTube was once considered to be little more than a place where people uploaded random videos to share with others, but it very quickly became a central hub for content because of the fact that this is the sort of thing that could potentially end up allowing people to post things they created without having to jump through any hoops. Wow, was is that, that a one, on Oh, that's one sentence. That is that is well, one now sentence. Now we know why um, nobody knows about digital information. Yes. No, I'm sorry. All respect. So, all respect. No. Uh, they, just, <laughs> <laughs> they just need an editor. Copy editor. Exactly. So it basically, the article goes on to say that uh, uh, YouTube... Uh, has uh, has been thinking about getting into podcasting. Um, and it says a large portion of YouTube creators already make podcasts in which they post on various platforms, um, but they don't, and then maybe they also post it on YouTube. But it seems that from the leak that this person is actually uh, not mentioning here, basically the, the leak says uh, that YouTube may add a tab uh, to its channel or, or its platform that is for audio only content and become a you know part of paid subscriptions yeah. and part of uh, a podcasting platform you know much like Spotify and Apple Podcasts and those kinds of things. We're going to pair that by the way with an article that is imminently better uh, that comes from our good friend Tom Webster. Uh, at uh, Edison Research. And of course, Tom writes about all things podcast. And in his newsletter, I hear things. He writes about what to do when the line stops growing. In other words, he brings forth some of the fantastic, and by the way, just really fantastic research that Edison does on podcasting and audio uh, technology. And the research found that for the first time in nine years, podcasting didn't grow why not, and what you can do about it. Um, and basically, he goes on a long-ish uh, article, as Tom does, and talks about, yes, after nine years of steady growth, the percentage of Americans who listen to a podcast every month dipped from 41% to 38%. So consider from uh, 2014 through 2021, it was at 15, 17, 21, 24, 26, 32, 37, 41% in 2021. And for the first time, Literally since they started measuring it in 2008, it has dipped back down to 38%. And he goes on to then describe what he thinks is the reason for that. Um, so taking these two things sure. together, Mr. Polizzi, what do you think about the state of podcasting right well, now? Well, <clears throat> let's talk about uh, YouTube first. Uh, YouTube, yeah. if people don't talk about it this way, is already the number one place that podcasters listen to. It's already they just yeah. don't measure it that way because everybody looks at Spotify right. and Apple and Stitcher and whatever else you're listening to. But if to, let's be honest, most people are listening to this stuff on YouTube already now. If they are going to really go after that market in a different way, like for example, and focus on findability uh, of beyond just the subscriber bases, I think that there might be an opportunity there. But I don't see why. They would want to make it create a tab or anything like that. People are already listening to this stuff. They already have their favorite finds. They're they're listening to it on whatever player they're listening to it on, and it happens to be YouTube. So I don't I, I honestly don't think they're going to do anything about this because it fits them just fine right now. There's I don't see any but reason they could to do. Look, well, this gets to a little bit of what Tom talked about in his article, which is findability, right? One of the things that he mentions in his article is some of the technology, for example, that uh, Spotify is now testing in terms of how you find a new podcast is not dissimilar from the way TikTok has uh, the, you know, basically, as he says, you thumb your way through TikTok and you start to you, literally it just things start. Right. And so you have to capture your attention within seconds. And apparently Spotify is testing an interface that would do something similar to that, where as you browse through podcasts, it would start playing. And you could listen to the first five seconds of something before you theoretically thumbed over. And so it would provide for some level of discovery of new shows and therefore theoretically some you know further growth 
in the way that podcasts are found. And YouTube, if they decided to do a, let's say a YouTube app, like, because let's face it, I, I don't know about you, but Spotify I've tried, Apple I've tried, and a couple of the others I've tried in terms of podcasting apps as a consumer of podcasts, yeah. and they all suck. They're, they're, they're not good in terms of how I manage my subscriptions, how I see what's going on, what, you know, what, what, where do I have my shows, what's new, what's come out, how do I get notified of that? And, you know, it's not unlike the bad interfaces right now that you see in things like, you know, let's be honest, Netflix's interface is not great. Is not, you know, in terms of discovery of new shows, it's just not, it's not a great interface. Nor is, you know, Peacock or Hulu or any of them. There's a few of them that are a little better than others, but that interface has not yet been really optimized yet for findability of a lot of content, which of course is the world of podcasting. So if YouTube could figure this out with the power of Google search behind it and findability in a YouTube podcasting app, uh, I wouldn't put that as a small thing. I think they could actually do something. Oh, I'm not here. saying there's not an opportunity. There's a huge opportunity, but the fact is Google doesn't have a good track record with new products these days. Because most of the Google products that we use are over 10 years old. You use any Google products that are right. new? Well, that's a great point. Well, you've, you've made that yeah. point before, which is... So, so they're going to go create a new point, product? They're not innovating. Where's the yet? innovation team yeah. going to do? Who's, who's going to do that? They'd be better off buying something. And I don't. there's just not something out there. By the way, I use Overcast, and it's the best one that I've used. I haven't used them all. But it's definitely better than Apple Player, and it's definitely better than Spotify, in my opinion. But... All right. Well, I'm going to try overcast, that because yeah, I have not gotten simple, into Overcast it's yet. I've heard about. I've heard yeah, it's good. It's, it's very simple. It works really well for me. The the take on the listenership. I have a couple things on that. First of all, you could just say that 22 is normalized based on the abnormal 20 and 21. Right? You could just say that. Sure. So, so that's yeah, one. Yeah. That's one argument. The second argument is human beings. Last I checked, aren't getting more than 24 hours in a day. It's just already a lot of media out there. It's hard to add more. Oh, haven't they told you that that's available? If there's been a 25th that, or 26th hour, I certainly would want to hear about this. I want. Well, I'm sorry. They maybe Elon you know Musk they, they, uh, can yeah. come up with with more that, hours. That's in the who day. started it. That's, that's who I'm sure. The whole thing. But here's the truth, and you know this as well as anyone. TikTok is sucking up all the oxygen out there for attention. I mean, I. I mean, I, I don't know if the zombie apocalypse is around anywhere, but everybody I know is spending a lot of time on TikTok. And, and yes. they're, whatever they're doing is magic. It's, I don't know, it's Eric Clapton. I don't know. It, it's a lot of stuff going on there, man. So I, it's hard to compete for podcasts yeah. to compete with TikTok. It's hard for anyone right there today to pe- compete with TikTok. And I got my youngest that's been saying, you've got to... You've got to launch a TikTok channel. I'm like nobody. That, that nobody is ever. At, nobody wants me <laughs> to launch a TikTok channel. And I said I'm not even. I'm scared to even download it and try it because I know so many people that just they'll spend hours on it, and I don't know if I want to spend that time or get sucked down that rabbit hole. So, yeah, that's well. That's a great point. You know, I mean, it's like where is attention moving, right? You know, and you know, as commuting comes back and as podcasts have come back, um, I think that competition has thickened, right? You know, with streaming, uh, streaming services, certainly. Um, and with, uh, you know, other, other elements that aren't podcasts, right? In other words, you know, if we're not commuting as much, which we're not because, you know, we're, there's so much remote and work from home now. And if that, population is more, you know, uh, let's say skewed toward podcast listeners, which I could see that. I don't know that for a fact, but I could see that. That feels right. Um, You could see the dip being just reflected in that, right? Just to your point, right? This is the first normalized year after an unnormal year where 
okay, people are going back to work and they're having to work, but they're working in a new way. And so therefore podcasting isn't as big a piece of my life. And that's true for me. I, I'm I, with the, the, you know, for example, my consumption of podcasts has gone down, not because I have purposely made a, you know, commitment to, to, you know, to doing less podcasting, uh, but because I am traveling less. And yeah. so my work life has normalized at this point to where I have normalized my work around my decrease in travel, but it hasn't given me more time for podcasting. It's given me more time for other things, right? And so that what I was listening to while I was traveling is basically gone. So all those activities are now gone. Podcasting and, you know, I used to play computer games far more than I, I mean, I haven't opened up a computer game in, gosh, you know, two and a half years since pandemic started, I haven't opened up a computer game. And so that's, that's, a that's a, I think those are the, the overriding. Trends. Actually, it's worth reading this amazing article from Tom oh, just for the well, part, yeah, because mean, he talks yeah. about, and, and I, I haven't looked at the new interface for Spotify, so maybe they figured out, but he's saying that it's a lot like the TikTok experience. And he t- talks, I mean, it's funny. It's funny that this very long article that he puts together, half of it mentions TikTok. Because, so you're seeing yeah. this attention suck going in that, that direction from all age groups, by the way. It's not just the kids. Yeah. It's, it's everything. And uh, it's, it's, it's frankly scaring me. I'm, I am literally scared yeah. right now for the future of the world. Of what? Because of the amount oh of time goodness. that people are spending on this stuff. <laughs> I'm, I'm totally serious. No, this is, I'm not that. laughing at this. I am totally serious. It seems to be a problem. I'm, this is get no, off my lawn. Not too much. <laughs> I'm feeling yeah, boomer about right this there. Too much. <laughs> and these children that you spit on as they try to change their that world. Darn rock and roll racket. Your consultation. They're quite aware of what they're going through. Ch-ch-ch-changes. Wow, very nice. Yeah. 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 All right. Let's move along here and get to uh, another story really quickly here, which is coming to us courtesy of the New York Times. This is an extension of something we were talking about last week, and it's a great, interesting uh, story about a new startup, but more interesting is for what it doesn't actually talk about. So the headline of the article is Tech Startup Aims for Artists' Royalties for Resale. Uh, The subheadline being Fairchain, which is the tech startup in question here, generates digital contracts and certificates of title of authenticity, allowing artists to track their work and share in secondary market proceeds. In other words, as the article opens up, you could be an artist and previous efforts to address the idea for, for example, selling a painting that, you know, is in $900 when it first sells and then flips as it rises in value for $85,000 20 years later, the artist isn't getting any piece of that. Well, previous efforts to address this have failed, but now as musicians and other creative producers assert more control over their future sales and blockchain technology has allowed for easier tracking of intellectual property, two Stanford alumni have started a business to help visuals artists reap the financial rewards when their work is resold privately or comes up for auction, in some cases at many multiples of the original price. Blah, blah, blah. The article goes on to talk about this technology uh, that we're talking about here. Uh, basically saying that the idea is is that the technology enables artists or their galleries to generate digital certificates of title and authenticity, which are encrypted and recorded on the blockchain. Hmm, does that sound Hmm. familiar? Uh, When a work is resold or sold, the certificate transfers to the new buyer only after they sign an agreement, committing to remit a percentage of the transaction value to the artist who created the work. So basically, the article then goes on to describe this. And you know what word doesn't ever appear in this article is the word NFT. But that's exactly what we're talking about here. And this is what we were talking about last week, Joe, when we talked about the idea that NFTs may not be called NFTs in the future. Well, here's your first example of this, which I just loved, because here we're talking about a smart contract getting done on the blockchain, and not once did the word NFT came up. It was just basically using blockchain to manage the resale in a smart contract that can facilitate resale and selling and making sure that the fractionalized ownership goes back a little bit to the artist. And uh, so what, did, did you have any, any take on this? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I first thought, I mean, we talked about this on this podcast already, just about the collectibles industry. 
that if I get yeah. my uh, Mickey Mantle, I'm just thinking Mickey Mantle, but Mickey Mantle autographed baseball, yes, that used to have a certificate of authenticity that could be forged in a million different ways, and I never knew that was it. Well, I it, every one of these things now today and henceforward is going to have some certificate of record on the blockchain it's called a non-fungible token that will show proof of ownership and we were also talking about the example of mr wonderful from shark tank that's launching this whole line of luxury watch non-fungible tokens if you will so if you own a really nice watch i'm talking about like ten thousand dollars plus you would have a something on the blockchain would say that that's yours so if somebody steals it or something happens and this was really important for the insurance industry so insurance going to get they're going to get their hands on this because there's a play there right so there's lots of things going on in all these industries and why is this going to happen it's all about money somebody's making money somewhere and somebody's going to get paid somewhere and this which this is fine. I love this idea that if you're an artist or a musician or something where you create some kind of a good and you want to show that ownership and get paid over time, it comes with the non-fungible token. I like that, but really why this thing is going to start heating up is because there are a lot of people that are going to make a lot of money off of this because the, to create the well, environment behind making this happen. It's absolutely true. Here's my prediction. So here's here's my prediction for, uh, let's call it 24 months All out, right. eh, maybe 36 okay. months out. The, remember, we were t- we were talking last week, and we were like, "Well, what's what's it going to be? You know, like what would the word be? Right? You know, what what what, what word will replace NFT for this?" And I I don't know. Oh, I but thought you were going to lay it on me. But no, no, gonna... no, no. But my, here's okay. my prediction. It's almost it's almost that good. It's okay. not quite that good, but it's but it's but it's almost right. that good. My prediction is is that the comp there will be a company. I don't think it's going to be this. I, I think well, maybe maybe we'll see. We'll we'll see if this fair chain uh, for excuse me fair chain company can can do it can be the one. But whatever company like kills it here is going to be the Google of this of this thing and we're going to that their name will become the xerox the kleenex the google you know so you'll just say oh just fair chain it you know and basically you're just gonna they're they're gonna become there will be a company that slays this in a way that becomes sort of the standard you know remember when you used to say oh just map quest it yes right and of course you don't say that anymore because map quest doesn't but we used to for a very short period of time so whatever company comes along and slays this particular thing will become the the, the kleenex you know, there's a word for that and i can't remember yeah the, the kleenex Twinkies. or the google or the MapQuest or the xerox or those kinds of things you know the the aspirin of of this uh, of this particular thing called making an nft or making a digital certificate i like i mean i wish it was like tylenol or something like that that would i mean that would be perfect if, if it actually was yeah I think it yeah. will be. That's that's. This is what this article reminded me of. Is, is that it's usually going to be some company and a brand that makes it a verb, right? That you know that 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 creates the. Yeah, verb can you ziplock so. that up for me? Yeah, right. <laughs> there you go. There, no, there you I. Go. You might be right about that. If you, it, it it would make sense that there's some centralized entity that would help this decentralized mission. Or, or philosophy or ideals or whatever we want to call it come to fruition. I really believe that it, well, that's it's going th- to need well, to happen. You know, way. that's the interesting thing here, though, is is that that's, you know, is it going to be a centralized thing or a decentralized thing? You know what I mean? It's like, you know, it, it may be a centralized thing that uses a decentralized infrastructure, right? You know, in other words, it could be a open source kind of idea, uh, not unlike a you know a Linux or something like that, where you have different flavors of it in a open source or open access way, but it could also be just as centralized, right? It could be just as centralized as a as a Google, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you know, a private blockchain, if you will, because there's nothing saying this has to be on the Ethereum network or that this has to be on the Bitcoin network or it has to be on some public network that you could just as easily you know, create a, a private version of a blockchain network just for this, right? Just for whatever, you know, this particular, and then it becomes highly centralized, which is arguably then why are you using blockchain technology to do it? But, you know, there's a whole, there's a whole other 
relatively. Well, I mean, if you look at look at all the amazing projects, decentralized projects that have theoretically happened on a centralized platform called OpenSea. So, right. so yeah, That's so right. I think that sometimes to get things done, you need a leader or, or a group of leaders with a mission, if well-funded, that can make something like this happen. And so I, I think at the end of the day, people ultimately won't care what the entity is to make That's that happen. I totally yeah, agree with I that. I don't think they're going to care. Totally I think that, that you've, you have some, you have a group of people uh, that, the big the believers that that think that everything in the world should be decentralized. I am not one of those people. I think that there is room for decentralization. There's you don't want a middle. Let's say de- we keep using decentralization. You don't want a middle entity involved in a transaction. And sometimes you do. So sometimes you feel like a nut, and sometimes you don't. <laughs> you've been saving that up. I have. I had it written been, down here. I was like, been, I'm really going to go for you it. You have I'm been saving eight that. episodes. But I yeah. agree with you. I agree with you a hundred percent because I because I, I lived this. I, I absolutely lived this. I think I've told this story before. When I first started out as the CMO of a software company was 2001, and we were selling this new concept called software as a service, cloud computing, and the whole idea. The technology behind this was something called multi-tenant, which meant that basically there were it was one instance of the software that would run in the cloud and that all the clients would access. And so you would basically, anytime you did an upgrade, you would upgrade the software in the one place and everybody got the upgrade at once. And so... And we thought that was so important. We were like, oh, that's, you know, this is the key. This is the future. This is the future of the the internet. It's the future of the web. And we would go out to our venture capital people and we would talk to finance people. And nobody cared. Nobody cared about that stuff. And then competitors started to come out. This is when Adobe and Microsoft and companies like OpenText, they came out with their cloud services, their you know, hosted, what they would call managed services or hosted services. And they would say, oh yeah, of course we're a software as a service. But it was basically just installed software available in some hosted data center somewhere. Mm-hmm. So in other words, if they were going to update their software, you'd have to go literally box by box by box by box in every, uh, in every data center and upgrade that upgrade that software and it used to make us so mad because it wasn't pure and it wasn't multi-tenant and we used to we used to talk about how that wasn't true software as a service and guess what customers didn't care didn't didn't they were like can i access it through a browser yeah do i have to host it on my site no well then i don't care i don't care what you know efficiencies they get for upgrading in one place and then you would start to argue about performance and reliability and then they don't care they don't care. And I think this is exactly the same thing. Customers, to your point, aren't going to care. As long as they get what they need, as long as they yeah. get the service that they need, they won't just, care. Yeah, just just look at the number of people that never update their apps on their phone and look at the number of people that play Wordle. <laughs> I'm serious, right? They didn't do anything flashy. They didn't even put an app together. Yeah, You got to go to That's the browser right. yourself. Could literally go view source and see the answer to the puzzle. It's, it's like, it's like, yeah, but nobody cares. It just doesn't matter. Nobody cares. Oh, that was fun. Uh, yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right, last story before we actually jump into some rants and raves here. Um, this one interesting story coming to us. Do you know this this site, Spiny Trends? Do you know? This I do site? not know I, Spiny I, this Trends. Is my first, no. This is my first introduction to it as well. So this comes to us courtesy of trends.spiny.ai, Spiny Trends. Can't really speak to it one way or is the other, but the article is very interesting. Is it spinier? Is it spiny.ai or is it spinier? Oh my God, <laughs> spinier. Is it like, be- yeah, it's, it's like Spanish beignets. I'm sorry, I need to go home. <laughs> Spin, spinier. The article opens up with the headline that says, The Pros and Cons of a Journalist Developing a Personal Brand. Uh, and opens up by saying, before social media, the majority of journalists were known only by the publication they worked for. But as publishers came to rely on social networks to distribute their content and journalists pushed out their own content and opinions, many have developed their own personal brand. Is this a positive step toward protecting and empowering underrepresented voices 
or does it risk crossing the line of impartiality? The takeaways. So this whole started with veteran New York Times reporter Maggie Haberman and the Washington Post internet culture reporter Taylor Lawrence that got into a Twitter fight this month over the importance of building a personal brand. The spark for the spat uh, was an article in Business Insider that said the New York Times is having problems retaining staff because of its prohibition on outside projects. Lawrence, that's the person from uh, the Washington Post, was quoted in the article as saying, the longer you stay at a job that restricts you from outside opportunities, the less relevant your brand becomes. Maggie Haberman then dismissed that idea as nothing more than the desire of some folks to get more attention. Then writing on her Medium page, NYU journalism professor Elizabeth Spears took the side of Lawrence instead of Haberman. Well, she also has no idea what it's like to face the kind of job insecurity people's Lawrence's age do, and barring some scandal, will never be fired or laid off by the Times. Basically, the article then goes on to talk about the uh, ups and downs or the pros and cons uh, of personal branding for journalists. And, uh, well, uh, you know, more than anything else, this is really just a discussion point. Um, what side do you come down on this, and what, what do you well, think? As in all things that we discuss, there's room for both sides. There's room for a media yeah. company like the New York Times that wants to, you know, keep their journalists uh, from not doing these outside projects. And you've got other ones that are going to put together a group of, of influencers. And through that, they're going to create some kind of a media brand, and they'll probably be more popular or more successful because those journalists have an audience but have you seen the movie the tender bar by chance have you seen yes i have so you I saw did. george clooney directed that and but ben affleck is okay yeah. so good i'm yep. i'm glad because you, you two you and i are the only ones who've seen this movie um <laughs> that i thought it was interesting when so the i'm not going to give anything away folks but the the character the the char- main character gets a job at the new york times and with the number of friends that he talks to, including his uncle, you can tell that they're all saying, you are settling by working at the Times instead of writing, being a writer and writing a book. And they make this distinction throughout yeah. the movie and say, a book is yours. You're building something. You're doing something amazing. Or you could settle and work for the Times. Now, I'm not saying that's the thing, but that is a really strong, compelling argument for a content creator, for a journalist today. To actually create your own thing, go out and build something, build your own audience, have your own revenue streams, do something amazing without having some larger entity, uh, you know, tell you how you should do things in a certain way. So that I just I thought about that movie, and I just thought that in listening or reading through this tweet spat, uh, there's there's that level of importance where some people want the security, and they want to say they work for the Times or they work for wherever they want to work or work for Google or Cisco. And, and there's a lot of group people out there that say, I want to do it my own way and I don't want to work for anybody else. And I want to build my own audience. Right. So there. Well, and, and, and there are plenty and maybe I dare say even most that look at that as a process, right? Where as a young writer and a young, you know, a, a young inexperienced, uh, uh, artist, let's call it, I'm going to go work for the Times or the Post, you know, because that is the pinnacle of writing for an institution. Yeah. You know, going to write for Vogue or or uh, Vanity Fair or New York Times or the Washington Post or the San Francisco Chronicle or the LA Times or, you know, Guardian or you know there are there are a number of publications out there that are considered you know at the highest levels of the form and you go right for those places because that's where you strive to really practice your craft at the highest level and then at some point you do that and what's the next level up well the next level up is of course to you know claim your claim your space right you know to to claim your space on the wall to put your name on the wall and and you know so many i mean the 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 road to the authors that we now see that are that are the most famous authors in the world that have written biographies and journalistic pieces and books and histories and all of the things that might come out of a of a newspaper reporter are all you know graduates 
of the times and and you know the including the Maggie Habermans, yeah. right? And and so you know, you look at those people and and you say at what point do you, you know, do you branch do you go out on your own? And of course, that's built into the business model of a New York Times. They they they, they you know, that anybody for one second that doesn't think that as those people become more famous, you know, the you know, Woodward and Bernstein sort of famous, you know, that thinks that the brand of the New York Times isn't riding their brand as much as they're riding their own, then they're fooling themselves because the, the they absolutely feature that. You know, that's the, you know, having a, a media company have a famous DJ or having a, uh, you know, a television company have a famous TV host or having a famous late night host or having a famous newscaster. All of those things are they they ride those personal brands. The que- the only question becomes when does your personal brand become yours to the point where you want to start doing your own things outside the purview of uh, of of a you know of a, of a publication. And I full fully on the side of Lawrence and 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 um, and the NYU school journal uh, instructor who say basically that's for us to decide. And, and, and in today's world, it's even more important because if you're going to have career longevity, you have to be able to do that. So I, I don't even know what the argument is to be quite frank. I, I, I don't. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a, yeah, it's more of a, more of a, for, so the good thing is there's opportunities to do both. It's probably harder to get in with the New York times and those types of organizations. Cause there's not that many available your odds might even be better going off on your own. But if you want to follow that path, great. Yeah, yes, there's many examples of that happening and working and wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it happens in every career, right? I mean, you know, the number of people who have, you know, that have failed their way through various brands. You know, Apple used to be this for a so, so long, right? I, I don't know if it's still this way or not. I've, I've, I've been out of the hiring scheme for, you know, forever. But if you worked at Apple, if you went and did your time at Apple, and you know that was a thing, by the way, you know doing doing your time at Apple, you know Apple was has historically, and again, I don't know if this is the current situation. I don't really know anybody that works at Apple, but what I used to know about Apple was it wasn't a terribly pleasant place to work. It was an amazing place to go build your, you know, your skill yeah. sets, you get it on the resume, abilities, and your resume. But it was not the place where you were going to be loved and cultured and nurtured. You know what I mean? It wasn't that kind of place. The same thing in consulting, right? The same thing in financial services, right? You you know, you go to Goldman Sachs, not because Goldman Sachs is such an amazing place to work, although it might be, but you go to Goldman Sachs so that you get Goldman Sachs on your resume. That's why you go get an MBA. It's you know, you leverage the brands of the places where you are in order to bolster your own brand. That's the that's it's it's been that way in career building forever and for every co- career you're a doctor at the cleveland clinic because you're a doctor at the cleveland clinic you know you're and, and all of those kinds of things just you know fall into place and you start associating your brand with the brand of where you are you know where you're practicing your art i think you've said it all i think there's nothing well, more to be said do you think really I think okay that you right. win if there's a winner to be had. I always do. You do, actually. I you normally do. do win because I just get exhausted. I I can't keep up with yeah, you. That, I can't keep up I can't it. keep up with the number of words you use versus the number of words I use. I do talk fast. Okay. Well fine. <laughs> Let's move along then. Let's talk to our rants yes. and raves where Joe and I go off in a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave over something that makes us feel like uh freedom. Talking like a little John Batiste there. God, I love that song. Um, and or something that makes us feel like, uh, I don't know, we got slapped by Will Smith or something. Okay. So uh, I have a very quick one. I'm okay, just going to go, go quickly. You go ahead. Because uh, I'll, I'll go first. Because this is really quick. It's literally just a link that I want to make sure everybody gets. Um, Kathy Hackle is someone I've known for a long time. And you talk about someone who's looks like an overnight success, but has been doing her thing for so long. Um, you know, I've watched her post pictures about the Oculus and virtual reality and, and metaverses for, I don't know, six, seven years she's been doing it in relative obscurity and uh, is now 
because she's, you know, because of the obvious, is in high demand and has become quite the thought leader in the space. And she's got an interview uh, with McKinsey, the consulting company, and their, and their McKinsey Digital. Uh, and it's basically an interview with her talking about the metaverse, how it's evolving, and how business strategy is evolving along with it. Wonderful interview. Of course, it's wonderful because it's Kathy. Um, and it's a really good sort of overview of metaverse and, and where what it means for business strategy and those kinds of things. So just recommend it. But mostly, it's just a shout out to Kathy because she's just a great Absolutely. person. Absolutely. And a good article as well. And uh, I have... It's actually, it, it just feeds on what we were talking about the two stories ago. I watched this movie called The Hero. Have you seen The Hero? With, uh, I have not. Uh, with, uh, so it stars Sam Elliott. And it's sort of a Western comedy romance. It's, it's weird. Not comedy. I mean, say it's a comedy drama, but I didn't think it was all that funny. But it was interesting because the, the character really struggles with the fact that does does he really wants to go and get an, an acting job like you would normally get? Uh, and he's you know has been in the business for forty years and he's feeling bad because he doesn't get the acting job, but he's really drawn to this idea of creating his own movie and that he's obsessed with and that's the idea that's the name he's like obsessed with this thing that might be called the hero, this movie and it goes back and forth and he's like dreaming about this thing, and I just thought that. If you're a content creator, you should watch this movie because this is, I think in a lot of cases, you've got content creators and content entrepreneurs that really go back and forth. They're like, oh, I want the book deal. I want the influencer deal. You want the thing that's going to say that you made it, like almost like he wanted to with this acting thing. But at the same time, you know better and you know that you should be building the thing, right? You should be writing your own book, building your own audience, creating your own thing at the same time. And it's very, very difficult. I talked with a content creator the other day that was saying that sometimes when you're a content creator, you get distracted because somebody puts a deal in front of you and then you go that direction and you stop working on the business model of actually building something and building a brand and building a business. And yep. I just watched this yep. movie. Of course, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but that's what I'm thinking about because I think about and obsess about this all the time. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is the thing between, you know, do I want to be just a content creator and and get some deals or do I actually want to be a content entrepreneur and build a business? And it's just two very different things. And all along the way to content entrepreneurship, you've got people, you've got road signs, you've got distractions saying, no, look over here, do this, do that, do that, do this influencer deal. Go pitch this for me and I'm, you know, as the brand. And uh, I guess it's just really challenging to go through that. And that's been on my mind lately sure. about the distractions that a lot of content entrepreneurs go through. I guess the other thing, yeah, there's a lot of just a. There's an overlap on that too, right? There's an overlap in that Venn diagram where, you know, being a content entrepreneur could be hustling like that for every deal. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, where, you know, it's it doesn't have to be one or the other. You yeah. know what I mean? It doesn't have to be, ah, uh, you have to go be focused over here or, you know, or take every deal as sort of a, you know, of an influencer kind of thing. But there's, you know, making a business mm-hmm. out of doing that thing, right? Yeah. So it's... Yeah, you're so right. I mean, it's just about clarity. It's about clarity and 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 staying true to what it is. What you, you as want you want, what's important to you. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, and that's, that's right. the first question: is what do you what do you want? What do you want to do? Because you can be successful yeah. either way. And then finally, just a quick shout out to Annie Shift in the Tilt Discord. She says, uh, "Very interesting that the Grammy for Best Comedy Album and Best Musical Theater Album both went to artists." Who released the material on their own websites. No record labels, no productions. Big news for the possibilities for content creators. I love that. I think I'm so fascinated by that. And one of them was Louis C.K. won the best comedy album. Yeah. Yeah. And released it himself. Yeah. So. Yeah. Hey. And for a, but, and, but did that for not only for the content creator reason, but also for. Oh, for other reasons. reasons, Probably nobody would take it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Which is a fascinating thing. I mean, it's it, it will be interesting to see what happens now. I mean, you know, yeah, it's. But it's, that's the thing too, and and I mean, we don't have to talk about the Louis C.K. thing, but he he can do all this. He's built up enough of an audience. He doesn't need any labels. He yeah, doesn't need exactly. any distribution. He doesn't need any of that. He can do it all of it on his own. So that's right. He's in a good. That's position. right. Which is which is to your point of your the the the, the first 
uh, rave that you put out there. That's one of the benefits of tr- building a true business, right? Building a true business with your fans and an audience that is yours, that is truly yours, is, you know, that's where your Kevin Kelly thousand fans or hundred fans or whatever it is that, you know, you believe yeah. in, that's when you become uncancelable. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, when you, when you've got that loyalty, when you've built that trust with an audience and you don't break it and you can break it in other places, but you don't break it there, then, then you've got, you, you can feed your family. Right. And he Absolutely. can, he can, he can, do and he was doing this early before the whole scandal happened because and, of course, and, that's yeah, what I was, mean. Yeah. yeah if he was starting today. That, I mean, I mean, he, he, it would have been hard. It would have been incredibly hard for him to start today. That's, that's the real that's the real interesting sign on the wall for me which is the fact that he took the time to do that and build that foundation and and really you know and suffer the pain of that along the way because it didn't always work out for him quite frankly um, but how he how he did that now is is paying off in in the dividends are paying that now well, that's why do you build an audience as from an entrepreneur standpoint because you get choices it gives you it gives that's you right. a lot more choice so there you go that's right, and as and as my and as my yoga instructor used to say, no bad choices, no good choices, only choices. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think I, I saw something like that. It said, "There's no the only good ideas yeah. are the ones that actually exist." Like, and you, like yeah. you've done. And you know something where I saw with, that? Yeah, what were? You where? know where I saw that? It was on the wall of an. Uh, it was in the wall of an Olive Garden. It's just where I saw. That. <laughs> that's where. That's, that's where I saw that. <laughs> all right what do you got and going we on brought it what all around yeah what do yeah, i got going right. on we did uh, yeah what we did. that's what they call a callback in comedy yeah i'm friend. taking a little break call from back. uh creator economy expo stuff this week i'm going golfing so this is why which is why we're oh, doing this early i'm this is my annual golf yeah. trip i'm very excited about it i'm going to be hitting balls in trees and water and all kinds of in sand <laughs> and all kinds of things that are not you know the green or, or regular grass so i'm looking forward to that how about uh how about yourself? Nice. I'm catching up. I'm catching up from the week um, being gone. I got emails. I got some writing I got to do. I got some videos I got to make. I got to, you know, work, 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 work. Um, and uh, and enjoying some tequila because one thing I didn't get in London Oh, was yes. Tequila, not so. the home for, the, for uh, great tequila, yeah. in your opinion, huh? No, not, no, no. I had some good gin, but didn't have any good tequila. So, so there, there you go. go. So it's a work week All for right. me, for well, sure. Enjoy your tequila. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, thank you very much. Um, and, you know, if you want to, if you've enjoyed this show and you want to get more of this goodness, of course, get on over to our website. That's thisoldmarketing.site. We'll have all the show notes and all the links that you might need to get there. Um, hashtag us up, won't you? Subscribe to the show. If you haven't subscribed to the show, uh, download, tell a friend, do all those things. We're trying to grow this audience. We're trying to make our line go up, even though Tom Webster says it's not. Um, but hashtag us up on This Old Marketing and ask the questions that you you have also let us know story ideas we love those story ideas if you hashtag this old marketing on the tweeter um, we will actually get our nine percent share of that company and until we meet again next week just remember it is your story to tell tell it well we'll see you next week on this old marketing